Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you all? Good morning, good morning, good morning. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church if we haven't had a chance to meet yet. Um, if you don't know much about me, I just want to tell you something. Um, a couple of years ago, I found that when I watched the news or like was on social media a lot, I got real stressed and anxious. Anyone? Anyone else want to admit that? I found myself like when I was, when I was going to certain news uh, websites like several times a day trying to watch everything that's happening in the world around me. I was just overcome with anxiety and stress. And so for a, a couple years ago, just if you don't know this about me, I stopped watching the news. I stopped reading some of those news stories on some of those websites. Um, I still watch some local news every now and again. Got to get the football scores in, right, from the local high schools and stuff like that. But when it comes to all the affairs that are happening in the world around me, I'm not real connected to them. I do have a, an app on my phone that sort of aggregates news stories from a bunch of different sources, and I, I read through some of those, you know, once a day or so. So I feel like I know that the world, like there are things happening out there, but I'm just not consumed by everything. And I'm only telling you that because there are two news stories that have um, sort of hit me this week that I thought I would just open up our conversation to talk about. The first is what's happening in Iran, if you guys are following what's happening in Iran. Um, Masa Amini is a young woman who was taken into police custody, um, was beaten so badly she was in a coma for three days, and then died. And she, allegedly she was taken into police custody because she was not wearing a hijab or hijab or whatever, or a scarf to cover her hair while she was in public. And this Islamic regime that is in Iran, they have these morality police officers that go around and they grab these women who are not following the edicts of their laws. Um, but they come with much brutality and violence. Well, since this young woman died for not wearing her hijab, um, many people across the nation or across the country have been protesting this sort of totalitarian government that is in Iran. They've been going to the streets at night, if you've been following this at all, and um, in the cities, and they're pushing against resistance into the, the police officers and the corrupt government that runs that country. And there, many of the women are taking off their hijabs publicly, facing ridicule and shame, and, and possibly even you know, harm to their own bodies. Um, a lot of the brothers and husbands and fathers of these women who are acting courageously and bravely are, are going with them into the streets to, you know, um, you know, protest against what's taking place. And I thought of that as I was reading that passage from Paul in 1 Corinthians, talking about being courageous. And I know, I know this. They're not motivated by Christian principles, right? But I, I think sometimes courage is courage, Yes. So the second story comes out of Russia, if you've been following that story. Of course, Russia's been embattled with a, uh, Ukraine in a war that they started some many months ago. And this last week, the, is it Putin, I think? See, I don't even know. <laughs> Putin, yeah, he, uh, he's called up another 300,000 soldiers into his uh, army or his military. Um, and as soon as he did that, the, the plane tickets to get out of Russia, <laughs> like you couldn't find a plane to get out of Russia. Like if you're in a border city close to another country, that the lines to get into another country are like 24 hours long. 
Um, someone told me this morning, Ryan told me this this morning, that the number one Google search um, over there right now is how to break your own arm so that you could possibly not have to go to military service. Now, we might call that not courageous. It seems like people should be courageous. Like if they get called up in the military, they should go. They should show courage and bravery. But I think what's happening here is we're beginning to see some people who are just not on board with this, this war that's taking place over there. And, and maybe to stand against the, the um, establishment, to be sort of anti-establishment, is a form of courage. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> You're not convinced. <laughs> um, and that's okay. That's okay. You know, we as believers in Christ oftentimes find ourselves in circumstances and or situations where we, we also will row uh, against the current, so to speak. That we will go against those who say we should do this thing and we, we feel God compelling us to do something other. We, we will sometimes be pushing against even some of our own family members. Do you guys remember the words of Jesus? Right? When he says that, that who is my mother, who is my brother, but those who do the will of the Father who sent me. Like, like we have to do the things that God wants us to do more so than even others who are telling us what to do. So I bring that up because um, when Paul writes those words to the Corinthian church, when he's talking to them about standing firm in the faith, to be on guard, to be watchful, to, to be courageous, or the ESV translate, tra- translates that, um, to act like men. And I didn't like that because I think this involves women as well. But to be courageous, to be strong, that when Paul is writing those words, um, he's admonishing not just the first century Christians, but he's, as we read them, he'd be encouraging us as well. And sometimes, sometimes we don't have strength and courage to do the things that God is calling us to do. I'm not asking us to riot in the streets or nothing like that. I was just thinking of a, a situation that arose this morning, even for me. That sometimes, um, you know, when, we, when you're downtown, you run into a lot of homeless people, anyone? And if you're, if you're friendly to them, they'll be mostly friendly back to you, and you can get to know them and get to know their names. And I know most of them. A lot of them come to church here. We're so thankful for that. And I uh, met with one this morning, and um, I just, as we were talking this morning, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to share something with this person. And you're like, yeah, but you're a pastor. That's kind of your J-O-B, isn't it? You're supposed to just talk to people about Jesus all the time. I'm like, no, no. My job is to talk to you people about Jesus all the time, <laughs> right? Not just random people on the street. But, so, but I feel like the Lord was just in, encouraging me to do this. And so it took some courage for me to go up and talk to this person, hear me, that I already knew. Like, do you see what I mean? Like, even in the little parts of our lives, we need some acts of courage. We need some acts of strength. We need to just know that God is calling us into something. And so uh, today I want to talk a little bit about what that might look like, and, and I hope I don't run out of time. So I'm going to move quickly through all the things that I've prepared. If you know the beginning of your Bible, the, the Genesis story, Genesis 1 and 2, it's called the creation narrative. It's the story that Moses is telling us of when God created everything. The first line of the Bible, Genesis 1-1 says, is, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I just love that. Like, what, what was going on before? It doesn't matter. We don't care. But we know this. When it started, God was there. Okay? So God created everything. He created the mountains, the seas, the oceans, the birds, the fish, all the creepy things on the ground, the birds, the deer, the, the cows, the pigs, bacon, amen. All the things. All the things. And he creates mankind, Adam and Eve, and he puts them in the middle of this very good creation. 
And he tells them to have dominion over it, to care for it, to tend over it, to be fruitful and to multiply. They have their orders, their marching orders, and they're going forward. And God gave them one thing to, pro he prohibited them from doing one thing, which was to eat of this one specific tree, the knowledge of the tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, okay? So they could do anything they wanted to do, but they had to stay away from this one tree. And it seems as if Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony and a community with God for some time. Now, we don't know how long they lived with them, but at some point, we know the story that Eve grabbed the apple or the fruit of the tree and ate it and gave some to her husband. And in that moment, we say sin entered into the world, right? You guys know this story. So in that moment of disobedience, when they eat from the tree, sin enters into the world. But I want to argue, I think sin entered in the world just before that. We don't know how long Adam and Eve were with God in perfect harmony. It could have been a year, could have been a thousand years, I don't know, 200 years, it doesn't matter. But at some point, they begin to distrust who God was. And we know this happens in Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent or Satan came to Adam and Eve and began to tempt them, tempted Eve, to distrust the goodness of of God. To say something like this, God's holding out on you, Eve, because if he wasn't, he would let you eat from that tree. And in this moment, her thinking about who God was, of his goodness and his kindness, begin to change. And when that happened, which is, I think is when sin really entered into the world, when that happened, her actions followed. My point in saying this is that our actions come from our thoughts. One of my favorite things to do is watch fail videos online, anyone? <laughs> like people wrecking and falling out of trees. It's like, it's like a secret joy of mine. Well, it's no longer a secret. I'm telling you all right now. I love it. So if you have really good fail videos, send them my way. I've seen them all. Some of my favorites are when uh, men put the, a ladder up against a tree and then grab a chainsaw and they're cutting off a limb on the, on the tree and the, the, the limb falls down and swings back and hits the ladder and they fall 20 feet, breaking ribs and a leg. I'm like, this is awesome, this is so great. No one, all right, so yeah, it's, I love that. Or when the, how about when a car is driving through a, like a flooded street, right? And there's already like three or four stalled vehicles, but this car has got it in his mind, I can make it. And he just brrr, comes running through and of course stalls out and you're like, yes, this is awesome. And how about this? Maybe you've done something and you're so thankful there hasn't been cameras recording it. Like the dumbest thing ever. Anyone want to admit to that? Yeah, of course, all of us. And we say to ourselves, what were we thinking? We weren't thinking. Or when the person drives through the water, what were they thinking? Or the person with the ladder on the tree, what? They're just not thinking. We say this. But it's not true. They are thinking. They absolutely thought it through when they put the ladder up against the tree. They thought the limb was going to cut off and fall that way. What they didn't know is they're going to swing back this way. But they thought it through. The person driving through the, the, the deep water, they, they thought to themselves, well, surely this car can make it. My tr I have a truck. It's a little higher off the ground. Or, or those cars are stalled out from an hour ago when the water was much higher. They've thought it through. The water's gone down. I can make it now. Right? So we can't say that we don't think these things through. We do. We just think them incorrectly. And know this, if we're going to navigate the waters or the, 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 the path of life that God has for us on the earth, we have to understand how to walk with him. First step for us to take with God in our life is this, is to know that our actions are predicated by our thoughts. That the things we think about drive the things that we do. Is everyone picking up what I'm putting down? 
Stanford, psych Stanford psychologist Barbara Tversky says this, to understand how people think, just look to their actions, not their words. Ouch. Ouch. A Stoic and Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius says this, that a man's life is what his thoughts make of it. Poet and philosopher Ralph Waldo Emerson writes that a man is what he thinks about all day long. The author Earl Nightingale says that we become what we think about. Mark Twain, we love Mark Twain, says this, that life consists mainly of the storm of thoughts that is forever flowing through a person's head. And maybe best put here, the English philosopher James Allen says this, as a man thinks, so he is. And as he continues to think, so he remains. This makes sense to us, doesn't it? That our actions are followed or follow our thoughts. And so if we're going to follow in the ways of God, we've got to be thinking correctly. If we're going to follow God into the right things for our lives, we've got to be thinking about the right things about God. Is this making sense to us? So if we're going to follow the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, right, when he says to be strong in your faith, to be courageous, then we have to think correctly about our faith. We have to think correctly about what God has done for us in Jesus. We have to think correctly what it means to be courageous, when we read the Bible and we think about people, the characters in the stories of Scripture who show courage, you know, the list of names is long. We could start in the Old Testament. We could go with a man named Moses. Maybe you know the story of Moses. Moses was used by God to go before a wicked king, Pharaoh, and demand God's people back. So the, God's people the Egypt, were held in slavery by the Egyptians. And, and God sends Moses to the wicked king, Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, and says, listen, God wants his people back, bro. Let him go. And, and, and here, know this, in the Egyptian culture of their day, Pharaoh was likened to a god. So Moses is standing before a presumed god at this point saying, my god's bigger than you. Now, that takes some strength. Would you agree? I almost said the wrong thing there with my hand motion like this. <laughs> and some of you picked up on it. Some of you didn't. So we're going to move on. We're going to go back and watch the video, aren't we? <laughs> so, but it takes some strength to do that. And, and then you can look at Joshua, Moses' successor. Is, God is leading his people into the promised land. Joshua is told to go into the promised land and take the, the land back from all the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, the, all the people. Take God's land back for his people. And he says, and I will be with you. So be strong and courageous, Joshua 1, 9. And I will be with you. We can look at the shepherd boy, David, who would become king as he stands before the uncircumcised giant Goliath, who's taunting God and God's people. Young boy, shepherd boy, David, is so frustrated that no one will stand up for God's honor. And with a sling and a stone, he goes out and takes down a giant that an entire army is afraid of. And we think of courage. We think of David, who's done that. We think of courage. We think of Esther, the queen, the young Jewish girl who became queen. And, and, and uh, she, she learns of a plot to kill all of her people, the Jewish people. And her uncle Mordecai tells her, go before the king and ask him to save, his, save your people. And she says, I can't, because if I go to the king without having been summoned, he'll, he'll kill me. And Mordecai says, you don't understand. It's quite possible that history has come together for this exact moment, for maybe such a time as this. If you know the story, maybe God has placed you here that you would rescue his people. And then he, and he says this to her. He says, but if you don't, Esther, know this, God will raise up a rescuer somewhere else. He will, but it's possible he's asking you to do it. You just need courage to go. 
You just need faith to go. You just need strength to step into this place that God is asking you to go into. We go to the New Testament. We know the stories of Peter and John, disciples of Jesus. After Jesus had raised from the dead and ascended back to heaven, Peter and John are walking to the temple one day to pray during the hour of prayer. And they see a man that's been brought to the temple gate to to, to beg. He's a cripple. He's been there for, he's been a cripple his entire life. And every day someone brings him to the temple so that he could ask for money, for handouts, so he could live because he can't work. He's, he's got a deformity of some sorts. And he asks Peter and John for help. And he says, no, we don't have any money, but what we do have, we'll give you in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. You guys know the story. And he gets up and walks and it says the real, that the, he starts leaping around because he's just been healed. And you would too, right? You'd be jumping around going, Jesus, God is amazing, what, all the stuff. And a commotion is heard. People gather around, and the religious leaders hear of it. And they go to Peter and John and says, what are you guys doing? You can't do that here. <laughs> you can't preach in Jesus' name in the temple, okay? We, we forbid it. And they throw them in jail. Luke tells us that John, or Peter and John were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they came back to the religious leaders and rebuked them. And this is some of the words that Peter says. He says something like this. He says, um, he says, listen, this man is walking because of Jesus Christ. Okay. The very one that you killed, that you crucified and God raised him from the dead. In fact, you have been the builders of God's kingdom left in charge and you have rejected Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of the building that God is, is making on the earth. Right? You have rejected him, but know this, he says, but there is no other name under heaven by which a man may be saved except for Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says this, And when they saw, when the religious leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I love how Luke uses the word uneducated. These religious leaders are looking at them going like, Puh, you still smell like fish, bro, because I used to be fishermen, right? What do you know about the things of religion, you uneducated fishermen? Who are you to tell us what's right and wrong? But Peter and John had boldness because they knew the truth of Jesus. They had been with him. They understood what Jesus had done for them. They understood what Jesus had done for the world. They under, understood what Jesus can do for others, even those religious people. And he rebuked them. He rebuked them. He says, you're wrong. And it took great courage to do that. The Apostle Paul, going around traveling, telling people about Jesus, doing these missionary journeys all throughout the known world at the time, he raises a ruckus at some point. Every city he goes into, he goes into the synagogues and he preaches Jesus and everything's going fine, right? He's healing people. Signs and wonders are taking place. And of course, same thing. Religious leaders get upset with him. They tell him they can't, he can't do that. And in fact, a mob raises up at one point and they, they grab big rocks and they begin to beat Paul with them. And in the Bible, we call this getting stoned. In our day, it's called something else. But you know what I'm saying? These are the jokes. Sorry. Just anyways, they, they beat him up with rocks um, so bad they, they assumed he was dead. You ever beat somebody with a rock so bad you just assume they're dead, they're knocked out, whatever, bleeding from right, all the stuff, right? I hope so. everyone said no at that point. <laughs> They've done that to Paul. They've killed him in a sense, right? And they drag him out of the city because they think he's dead. In Acts chapter 14, it says this, but in 
But when the disciples of Paul gathered around him, he rose. Right? He came back to life. I don't, was he dead or not dead? I don't know. I'm going to say he was dead, but God raised him from, from the dead. I don't, it doesn't matter. But know this. Looks what he, look what he does next. He, he rises up and he goes back into the city where they tried to kill him. And from there, on the next day, he leaves and goes to another city with a friend of his, Barnabas. And they preached the gospel to that city and they made more disciples. The Bible tells us that the, the people followed him. The, the angry mob followed him to that city too. And were trying to run him out of that city. And they leave there and they go back to Lystra and Iconium and to the same places that he'd been stoned before. Listen to me. When you're following the will of God and you're doing the things that he's asking you to do, you'll have a courage to do something like that. The thing that strikes me is that Paul didn't run. He didn't run even to the threat of violence. We are fortunate in our nation to not have the threat of violence levied against us um, because of our faith. There are people, Christians in other parts of the world, who do not have that luxury. For them, it's a very real thing. To be a Christian is to be in danger. And it was that way in Paul's day, obviously. And he wrote those words, to be strong in the faith, to, to be watchful, to be courageous. And we could look at all the stories in Scripture of men and women who were strong in faith, who had courage. We can look to kings and queens and shepherd boys and prophets and evangelists. We can look to all that stuff. But I think the most profound act of courage in all of Scripture was done by Jesus. Jesus was on the eve of his arrest and crucifixion. He was with his disciples, and he went to a garden to pray by himself with a couple disciples. And after he prayed, um, he, he comes back to the disciples, and uh, one of his disciples, the betrayer, Judas Iscariot, had gathered a group of soldiers and an angry mob with, with um, lanterns and torches and pitchforks. It's like that scene in Shrek. You know what I'm talking about, anyone? It's not like that. It's a real thing. So anyways, um, but, they're, but they're, they're coming towards Jesus to arrest him. And Jesus, verse 4 of John chapter 18, says this, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. That he knew what was going to take place. He knew he was going to be arrested. If you know the story of Jesus, a couple of months before this, he was on a mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. He was praying with some disciples there, and Moses and Elijah and some sort of vision came to him, and Moses and Elijah began to teach Jesus or tell Jesus what was about to transpire, what was going to happen to him. At this point, I think Jesus beginning to understand that I'm going to a cross that I'm going to die for all humanity, that God is going to uh, offer me as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Okay, and that's what we believe. And I think Jesus began to understand that. And in this night of his arrest, he knew that's looming. He know, within 24 hours, Jesus is dead. And he knows this is about to take place. And when they ask for him, when he, when they say, when he says, what do you want? They say, we want Jesus. It says he stepped forward to be arrested by them. The Irish pastor, Andrew Roycroft, writes it this way. It is impossible, and I quote, and this is a long quote, it is impossible for us to unpack the courage which lies behind this statement. These may be but a few steps for Jesus to take, but in them he straddles all of redemptive history. He walks fully into every biblical prophecy and embraces with clear eyes his messianic destiny. Jesus steps forward in the Garden of Gethsemane into the midst of a mob set upon his destruction. 
his cheek moist with the kiss of his treacherous kinsmen, and in so doing, he enters the rapids of a river which will dash him against the rocks of his father's wrath. And knowing this, he comes forward. Knowing the gut-wrenching injustice of the trial that awaits him, he steps forward. Knowing the ferocity of the scourge which will plow his back, he steps forward. Knowing the mockery and the naked shame in front of a whole battalion of soldiers, Jesus steps forward. Knowing the searing isolation of the road to Calvary, the denial of his friends, and the unrelenting torture and physical pain and psychological abuse that he will endure, Jesus steps forward. And knowing the ear-splitting silence of the heavens, the soul-crushing weight of atonement placed upon him, Jesus steps forward. End quote. Simply stated, Jesus thought about what to do. And he chose to move forward. That he chose to step into what God had called him to do. And if you know the stories in the Bible, this isn't the first act of Jesus' boldness. His life was filled with it. He was brave, not just in this moment. He was brave his entire life. And so if we're walking, if we're navigating the life that Jesus and God has for us, first, we have to understand this, that our actions are predicated by our thoughts. We already talked about that. That what we think about is the things that we do. The second thing we need to understand is that God is transforming us into the image of Jesus. It just means this, that God is wanting us to become more like Jesus. This is a theological concept that we call sanctification, which you don't have to know what that means. It just means this, that God is making us more and more holy, more and more like his son Jesus. And to do so, he's calling us to live a life that looks like Jesus. I used to say this, Jesus was sinless. Yes and amen? So if you follow him, hear me when I say this, then your life should become sinless. Okay? Now we all sin, right? We don't do it naturally now. It's like just almost like we do it because whatever. It's not a normal thing for us. If we're Christians now, we've been made new. Our new nature is not sinful. Say amen to that, right? But every once in a while, sin wins, right? But as we follow Jesus over and over for years, decades maybe, if you get this opportunity, God changes you slowly. This process is called sanctification. We look more and more like him. So all that to say that if we're going to look more and more like him, then our lives are going to look more and more like his. Christian speaker and blogger Alicia Headley says this, that it takes bravery to recognize your fears and continue moving where God is leading you. Jesus was brave, right? He had to face adversity, accusation, and affliction. Adversity, accusation, and affliction. He, he faced those things, and hear me when I say this, and you will too. I will too. We will too. Adversity. Jesus came on the scene in adversity. If you know the story of his birth, he was but a small child when Herod the king wanted to kill him. His family had to flee to another nation, to Egypt, to flee this wrath of a king. And it wasn't just adversity there. He faced adversity through his entire life. People were always opposed to the things that Jesus was doing. But know this, sometimes when we face adversity, when we face trials in our lives, it actually is beneficial to us. It sounds so backwards, doesn't it? It's this paradox. Like if we're to follow after God and things get difficult, because we're like, but I thought when you became a Christian, everything got easy to, like it's supposed to get easier. Listen, if someone told you that story about following Jesus, look at me. They lied to you. They lied to you. 
I don't know why they lied to you. They just told you that your life would get better. Listen, read the Bible. Look at all 12 disciples. Did it end well for them? I don't mean to yell. Are we okay? Are we still friends? I want to be friends. You don't understand. I've got this people-pleasing sin inside of me. I just must know you still like me. No, we, we are going to get called into adversity as well. And when we have challenges, it, it, it helps us. James, the brother of Jesus, says that we should consider it joy when we face trials, when we face temptations. Why? Because it actually produces something inside of us. Listen, when you face a trial, when something comes up in you and you have the choice to either go this way into the things of God or this way into what you want to do and you choose this, it's beneficial for you. Yes? This has been my prayer for us this morning, that God would bring us to a place of decisions. That, that our life is filled with crossroads and we always get to choose one way or the other. And he gives us the liberty like he did with Adam and Eve to choose our own way if we want. But should we choose the way of God empowered by the Holy Spirit, then our lives become different. And God wants us to choose differently. He, he wants us to. It's better for us and it's better for the world around us should we choose differently. And so when adversity comes our way, we we don't have to celebrate it, but we don't have to run from it either. We know that God is doing something. There's accusation. Jesus faced accusation. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, actually accused Jesus of performing miracles by the power of the devil. In Mark, Matthew chapter 12, you can read about that. Jesus' own family thought he was loco, crazy. Mark chapter 3, read that. The family tried to put Jesus away because they thought the things that he was talking about was nonsense. And sometimes when you follow after Jesus, your family's going to think you're full of nonsense too. Oh, and I'm sorry for that. And I'm sorry that your friends are going to look at you and go, man, used to be a whole lot more fun or whatever, right? How come you don't go out drinking and getting drunk with us anymore? How come you don't do all this stuff with us? I'm like, dude, I'm on a different path now. I'm just on a different path now. You're going to face... Accusations, they're going to call you names and whatever. And I am running out of time, apologies. And you're going to face affliction, that the mental and physical affliction that Jesus endured will never know. Like no one could die for the sins of the world again. He did that, right? But we will face some of that uh, as well. Again, in our country, not so much right now. Praise the Lord. But sometimes affliction will come. And so if our actions are predicated by our thoughts and if our thoughts have to come first right and we know that God is transforming us to look like Jesus and our life's going to look like that with adversity accusation affliction but it can produce for us what I would call um, uh, maybe this is the wrong way to say it but God's perfect will for our lives like if I was just to take a, a quick poll like if you could if you could answer this question like if you if you could live in God's perfect will for your life how many people would want that like just raise your hand for me Okay, Lord, you see their hands like help them help us, Lord. Right. Right. If, if we could do that, if we could live what God wanted for us, don't you think God would have the best plan for our lives anyways? Right. If, if you could pick his plan or I don't know yours, which one would you pick? Right. The creator of the universe or you got an associates from Richland. I'm just saying. I don't know where you are on the education spectrum, whatever the thing is. Right. It's all good. Listen. Listen, if we could pick a plan, we would pick God's plan. There's a story. Um, I'll wind down with this. There's a, a story. Oh, sorry. The story of Jesus' death 
and his burial and his resurrection. It's recorded in all four gospels or biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right? And so when you read those stories, you, you hear the torture that Jesus endured. You hear about the, the trials that he went through, um, the, the flogging on his back, the crown of thorns, the nailing to the cross, all the things. You read about that. And when you're reading those stories, all four Gospels make mention of another person in the story, too. This other person is a man that I like to think stepped into the will of God for his life, and he did so with boldness and courage because of his understanding of who Jesus was. This person, his name was Joseph. Joseph, the Bible tells us, was a rich man, a man of affluence and wealth. And it says that he was from a Jewish town of Arimathea. So this Joseph of Arimathea, is, is, uh, his name is mentioned in all four gospel accounts of Jesus' death. Anyways, this Joseph was from Arimathea, and it says that he was um, a member of the council or the Sanhedrin. So when Jesus was arrested, he had two trials. He had a Roman trial, right? This is Pilate, and then he went to Herod, and then back to Pilate. And he also had a religious trial in front of the Sanhedrin. Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin. But it says that he did not consent to their decision and their action to have Jesus crucified. It says, the Bible tells us that Joseph was a good and righteous man. So this Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. He didn't consent to Jesus being killed. And, and I question, why doesn't he want Jesus to be killed? Well, John tells us, it says that Jesus, or Joseph rather, was a secret disciple of Jesus. Picture that, man. He's like in the religious leadership of the community, right? And he's secretly following Jesus. He's learning from Rabbi Jesus when he's teaching about the kingdom of God. He's learning about, um, he's learning from him when Jesus says that he's the son of man, that he's going to uh, cru be crucified and raised from the dead. He's learning all this stuff. And when they bring Jesus to trial before him, he can't vote to kill him. Of course, they don't listen to Joseph and they kill him anyways, obviously. It says that Jesus was crucified between two other criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And typically after someone was murdered on a cross or, or executed on a cross, that they would take the body down after it's dead and they would throw it into a tomb and they'd roll a big rock in front of the tomb to keep the critters from going in and eating on it. And they'd let the body decompose in there for, I don't know, weeks or months. And at some point, they'd send a, someone to roll the stone back and they'd pull out all the bones and sweep it out and get it ready for the next one. And after Jesus was crucified, the assumption was that Jesus was gonna have the same thing happen to him. That they'll take all three criminals down, they'll throw them into a grave, right? And their bodies will decompose and whatever. But Joseph of Arimathea, right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't want that to happen for Jesus. And it says this in Mark chapter 15, verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. What's it say? He took what? Courage. And he went to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. Before they could take it down and throw it in a tomb with the other criminals, they asked for Jesus' body. So Joseph and another man, Nicodemus, another secret follower of Jesus, they take his body down, they wrap it with like 100 pounds of uh, spices and anoint it with oil, they wrap it in cloth and they throw it into a 
a different tomb, a different grave. In fact, tradition tells us that this tomb that Jesus was thrown into was a tomb that had never been used before. And it was a tomb that Joseph himself had made for his own body when he would die at some point. So he gave his own tomb to Jesus and they, they put his body in there. In this moment, Joseph outed himself, that he had secretly been following after Jesus. But in this moment, he took courage and he risked adversity and accusation and affliction. He stood to lose everything, his wealth. It's possibly even his life. Obviously, they just killed Jesus. And, and, and the persecution that broke out on the church in the first century was big and people lost their lives all the time. And for him to come out and go to Pilate and say, listen, I'm a follower of Jesus. I wanna take his body. He, he outed himself to everyone around. And yet, regardless of the cost, he did so. And yet, regardless of the cost, he did it. He did this because he knew who Jesus was. He knew the truth. And this is what caused his actions to be courageous. So I don't, I'm, you know, I said earlier, it, it doesn't take much strength to be a Christian here in America. It's not, we're not facing typically political, you know, you know, issues or whatever. We definitely not, it's not illegal to be a Christian here. Um, some might argue yet, maybe it will be someday. Um, to, if I could be honest, and I'm just riffing on this right now, that doesn't bother me at all. Like that to me doesn't, in fact, it, it might, <laughs> it might purify the church a little bit as it's purified the church in other places of the world. When it's illegal to follow Christ, you make a decision to do it anyways, if you know the truth. So I don't, I don't know like where, where everyone is. So, so to follow Christ right now, it's not that, it's not that hard for some of us. It's easy to say, yeah, I'll follow Jesus. It's no big deal. But then, but then check it out. Then like a Friday night happens, like you're with your friends or something. And some people are making decisions to go do something and you have to decide to do something else or, or um, I don't want to make it just about partying because there's so uh, drinking or whatever, because there's so much other things involved. Like you, you might have to stand up for the rights of a coworker because someone's, you know, taking advantage of them at work. And you say to yourself, well, that's not very, that's not like gospel work. Well, of course it's gospel work. I mean, it sounds crazy, but we, we wouldn't look to Iran right now and say that the, what they're doing is gospel work. But know this, that God has a very high view of women. Yes? And it seems like the Islam religion does not so much. And wouldn't it, isn't it like God to just try to, to break those Islamic regimes and do it in, through Christians and through, without Christians? I'm just saying that God has a high regard for, for people. And you could see that taking place. I don't know what God might be calling all of us into at some point. But I know it's big things and I know it's little things. I prayed this morning for all of us that God would lead us to a place of decision. I didn't know what I was praying at the time, but I think I sense it now that, that God is going to ask you to make a decision for him. I don't know if it's today, but it'll be sometime soon. This sounds so cryptic. I apologize. It sounds so TV evangelist too, doesn't it? God's going to do something in your... Da, 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 da. Listen, hear me. I believe it with everything inside of me. God is going to ask you to make a choice that's right. And you're going to need courage. And you're going to need strength. 
And because you're here today, you're going to be able to think back to all the people in scriptures who are able to do strong things. You're going to think back to Paul and Peter and think to Jesus who did something for you so that you too can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do something different. Man, I could go through a hundred examples in my mind of what God is probably asking some of you to do. But I don't want to close it in. So I want to pray for us. Lord, only you know what you're asking of us. Only you know what is coming. So God, I pray right now that we would have an understanding in that moment or two or three, when they come, Lord God, that we would have a real settled um, understanding that you're asking us now to do something um, that needs strength and courage. That we might have to say no to some friends. We might have to break up with boyfriends or girlfriends. I don't know, God, what, whatever you're calling us to, that this, this process of sanctification to, to lead to holiness, Lord, they're just people that we can't be hanging around if we're going to be, you know, marching with you. There might be jobs that we have to leave because what we're doing is just not God honoring or whatever. There might be just a, a number of things, Lord, that you're calling us to do. We pray, Lord, when that moment comes that you would give us courage and strength, that you would help us to see that if you can do it, that we can do it too. Because we know that the same Holy Spirit that empowered you, Jesus, empowers us. And that we don't have to walk in weakness and fear. We can walk boldly too, Lord. We thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 